is episode 107 of Off Script with Trish Glose, intimate interviews with interesting people. Joining me via Skype today, all across the country, I have Julie Grauert. Hi, Julie. Hi, Trish. It's so you, good to see you. Good to see you, too. We actually met in Las Vegas. We were there because we were both in news. You were no longer in news, which we will talk about. But we were there for the MDA telethon. Was it like a training weekend? Yes. And yeah, it wasn't for a bachelorette party or anything too wild and crazy, even though I feel like we kind of took it there. We did. Maybe. <laughs> we totally so did. years ago. Yeah, that was. Uh, but well, it was great. It was super fun. We actually went to, you remember going to the top of uh, Paris Hotel, that bar up there, the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> Maybe I not? feel like um, we were probably having a lot of fun. Memory is a little spot. I know there are photos that exist somewhere. We went to the top of the Eiffel Tower? We did, and we had their signature drink up there, which is this like Prosecco fruit, gorgeous like berry drink. Yes, yes, it's coming back to me, yes. And we had some an another girl with us, right? We made some other friends? Oh yeah, we made lots of friends, yeah. Who's, who, but I don't know. Remember any we were making friends everywhere we went. It was a great, it was a great weekend. We were there to learn all about MDA. Um, remember, we saw oh, um, who was the famous guy we saw besides Jerry Lewis? He was. Was he supposed to be there? He was sitting right. His name is escaping me, and I will, I will figure it out later. But we were all like all a flutter because there was some. Yeah, he was supposed to be there at the telethon. He was hanging out with Jerry Lewis at the telethon. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, it, we must have had too much fun. Okay. Or maybe it wasn't, yeah, he wasn't <laughs> famous enough uh, for, for it to like go in my library of memories. It will occur to me probably halfway through this interview and I'll just shout it out randomly. So that'll okay. be fun. Um, all right, Julie, let's start from the beginning. Well, first of all, I should tell everybody who you are. I got this from your Instagram account. Retired news anchor, stay at home dog mom, which I love passionate advocate for curing spinal cord injury. So really interesting to me. We're gonna talk a lot about all three of those things, but I wanna to get to the beginning. Where are you from originally? Originally from Lake Oswego, Oregon, which I can say because you guys down in Medford know, like, I mean, Oregon people know Oregon people. Mm -hmm. So uh, born and raised there. My parents are still in the house. We grew up in and went to Jesuit high school and then ventured out back east to Georgetown, where I played volleyball for a couple of years and started to fall in love with broadcast journalism. Right. Um, you actually, and that's where you went to school, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you go there because of journalism or did journalism take you there? I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. And in, so took a little detour. Uh, I worked at, volunteered at Dornbecker uh, Children's Hospital in Portland and loved it and then got into Georgetown and was in calculus and couldn't take my pre-med classes because of my volleyball practices and then realized I'm not nearly smart enough to be a doctor and so I was like I'll do TV maybe that can work but uh, actually I saw a poster up in our dorm that said make your parents proud run a TV station before you're 18 and that was it and I'm the oldest of four. I live proud. And so I was like, oh, I'll do that. So I got involved with our little tiny on-campus TV station. And then, and then unfortunately, 9-11 happened. 
So you're thrown into the one of the very, very worst times in, in the history of the world. And I remember thinking, I don't want to race home and hunker down in my house. I want to be here in D.C. and be able to be a voice box and a, a conduit to get the information to family and friends and loved ones. And so that's originally what sparked my interest in news. And then it continued to grow over the years in D.C. and with following internships in different cities. Awesome. I bet. I bet that really did spark a whole lot for you. What was it like growing up in Lake Oswego? You have a big family. We do. Yes. They're like I mentioned, I'm the oldest of four and it was great. I have two awesome parents. I got so lucky with uh, being being born into that family and and I feel really fortunate. It's fun, um, strict, like you had to get good grades and then you could play your sports, but very busy, active lifestyle growing up. And all four of us played sports. All four of us went through Jesuit. And so it was fun to kind of see the siblings all go through and everybody knew the same teachers. And uh, I have very fond memories of growing up there. But I knew when I left for Georgetown that I never wanted to go back to Portland. I was like, did it, been there, done that, ready for something new, ready for the East Coast. And then it was only after starting in Rapid City, South Dakota, oh. my very first TV job, Market 175, uh, that I was like, oh, Portland is like Paris. <laughs> like, like our Paris Eiffel Hotel, Eiffel Tower hotel, uh, bar that we went to. Yeah. If I could get back to Portland, that would be fabulous. So after a uh, year in Rapid City, South Dakota, I got a job, and that's how we ended up, you and I ended up meeting. Yeah, and you got a job, uh, KGW? At KPTV. Oh, that's right. That's the Fox affiliate, I yeah, believe? the okay. Fox affiliate. Yep. What was that like? It So after first denying Portland altogether, like I'm never going back, to then having the change of heart, and I've learned over the years that any time you say I'm never doing anything, it's going to happen, 100%. Like, I didn't even like dogs, and now I'm one of those weirdos that takes, like, 50 pictures of their dog every day. Same dog. Yeah. Same poses, same smiles. So uh, I, when I got back to Portland, it actually was the greatest gift because my sister was still in high school, my youngest sister. My parents were there. My childhood friends were there. And they were starting families and getting married. So I really got to stay a lot more connected than I did when I was on the East Coast. And then as you know, and I'm not sure where your family is, but if you work in TV, that's not a normal life. Mm -hmm. You work holidays. You, there is no such thing as a, being able to really be there because you're always on call. So being in Portland allowed me to be at every Christmas. Oh, that's I, great. I had full makeup on because I just came from work, but uh, it, it allowed me to be there for birthdays. It allowed me to be there for all of these things that in later years after I left to go work on the East Coast, I was just impossible. Yeah, especially so when- it was really cool. Plus- Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say when you're the new kid at a new station, you don't, yeah, it's like you can't have Christmas off, you fool. <laughs> yeah, never don't eat, like don't even try to ask. It's insulting to even request Christmas or any sort of holiday off. Uh, but it was fun because my mom, of course, would watch. And so I'd get a text in, after the A block, like, don't love the necklace. So commercial break, necklace off. Next block, no necklace. I love that. So and then I'm like the most fashionable person. So I did have a couple pieces from my high school days. 
<laughs> like button ups, like just kind of classic pieces. And I would wear them and my friends from high school would be like, honestly, you're like 25, 26. You can get some new clothes. Like we saw that sophomore year. So that was really, really fun. And nothing that I expected when I got to go work back in Portland. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's great. I think that's the biggest kind of wake up call when you're starting out in this business and you're in a, you know, it's your first job and, and you realize, I remember we hired a producer and it, Memorial Day was coming up and he's like, so do we get Memorial Day off? And I was like, oh, sweetie, no, we don't get any days off. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah. But no. Oh, and let's, so like, let's all bring in snacks and have a food summit because we're going to be here forever. Yeah, exactly. Forever. Yeah. In fact, Thanksgiving, I mean, I remember doing Thanksgiving with my coworkers when I was, you know, in my 20s because you ain't going home. So. Oh, totally. And it does bring a, a closeness among your coworkers because you're all in it together. And so, of course, besides missing the holidays, you're dealing with really difficult subject matters in the news in general. So it lends itself to uh, a bond that you other industries and careers might not have otherwise, but you definitely need to expect to mm -hmm. not be going home for I, anything. I think it's honestly, I think it's great. It really does make you appreciate that time that you can have off with your family or go travel and be with your family for sure. You are so much more present. And I've learned that in after missing, because uh, I was on the East Coast working in New York and Boston for a total of almost six years and didn't make it home for five of those Christmases. And uh, you don't, when you're in the thick of it and like really in the trenches doing it, you don't realize what you're missing, but you're close with your family, even if you're not close with your family, if you have dear friends, if it just allows you to be more present when you realize that you could not have it. Okay, so what came after Portland then? Were you looking as, a lot of us do in this business. We're just trying to get up, get to that next job, except for me. Um, <laughs> do we, are you, are you, you found your spot. I did. Um, are you, were you looking to just like, I want to get in a bigger market. I want to do, I, I want to do bigger things. Like how did that happen? I fell in love with New York City when I was 18 years old. We went there to play Seton Hall and uh, I'd never been there before. And I was like, this is my city. I should have grown up here. I like, I can never ever not live here. How dare my parents deprive me of the grit of New York City. And I fell madly in love. Like it was a person. I fell madly in love. And we weren't there living it up. Like we went and got pizza and then went and played our games. So uh, I can say this now because the days are long gone, but every password since then was New York by 30. I must have typed it for 10 years because that's like when I turn 30, I will be moving to New York and I will be a journalist there. That is my heart and soul and my goal, period. And it happened. So, and it, so I turned 30 and my contract was up in February. So I went to them at the end of the year and I said, I love you guys. Thank you for letting me grow up here at KPTV. I adored my coworkers. I had the cushion, like the best schedule. I anchored the eight o'clock news. I got to report in the early shows, got to pitch my own stories. And I was like, I'm 30 and this is my dream and this is what I'm doing. So they said, okay, congratulations and good luck. So I packed, I and I, I was 30 years old with about eight years, seven or eight years experience in TV, which is not that much for New York. And packed two suits, didn't have a job, didn't have a place to live. 
stayed at the YMCA for a couple nights, crashed in a friend's hotel room, crashed in another friend's apartment uh, on their couch, and then found a 154 square foot apartment. It was 11 by 14. And the bathroom had a, a half a mini tub. The floor had settled in the wrong direction, so the water didn't drain in the tub. It was the coolest, best apartment on planet Earth. It was 1800 bucks a month for 154 square feet. And I was like, I'll take it, because I had lived at home for nine months prior to save mm -hmm. up. So I had a little bit of money saved, and living at home was its own challenge. But I uh, got up and then just started knocking on doors and trying to get a Get jobs and got my first job within about two weeks. I uh, was hired freelance to report at the Fox affiliate, Fox 5. And mind you, I had been an anchor predominantly leading up to that. So what they didn't know is that my reporting was not as, my field reporting was not as strong and I definitely wasn't as confident in that. So I kind of learned how to report in New York City. Wow. Wouldn't recommend that. And I distinctly remember I was in Bedford-Stuyvesant, which is uh, in the boroughs in, in Brooklyn, and I was, didn't know how to pronounce it. And it was an easy Vosot that I was fronting. And I was so nervous about saying live from Bedford-Stuyvesant that I forgot my name. No. And I had been there freelancing for a week or something. And, and I was like, reporting live from Bedford-Stuyvesant. Julie... <laughs> Rowart Fox Five News. It happens. And oh my God! It, and and so then, the you know they pop the anchors up, and I get my phone. The assistant news director, he's like, "Murder you! Tell me there was a car crash in front of you. You forgot your name. This is market one. Your career could be over. You don't forget your name in market number one." And I was like, "I'm so." I was so mortified, and my my sweet sweet photographer at the time. I started crying in the live truck, cried the whole way home. And then one of the seasoned reporters walked me to the subway. He's like, it's okay. And so people were wonderfully kind there, but it was like, oh, really scary. Yeah. And then, um, and then about a week later, a friend from an internship several years prior worked at WPIX, PIX11, and they were like, we need a traffic reporter. I was like, I just moved here. I only know Broadway. <laughs> I don't know if that would be a fit. And she's like, no, that'd be great. You have a producer. They write your scripts. And I was like, okay. So I went in and met with the news director and they hired me as the traffic That's amazing. It was like mind blowing. So all of a sudden, then all of a sudden it's like my life goes from like stressed out reporting, like uh, forgetting my name to uh, I did have a producer. She even clicked through my traffic for me. She became my one of my closest friends in the whole wide world. Wow. She built my maps. She wrote my script in prompter. I had a car service pick me up at 2 a.m., drop me off, hair and makeup, do the show. It was like so mind-blowing. And then I'm off at 10 a.m. Like, do-do-do, hey, New York City. So I saw 54 Broadway shows in 52 weeks and like – just lit, like soaked up every single ounce. That's amazing. That the city had to give. That's amazing, Julie. Uh, it was wild. And then, but six months into that traffic, 
And then I got to pitch stories that I really loved and they give me time to do mm-hmm. them. So like some of the, by my career were there. And um, then six months in, they're like, you know what? You're not New York enough for us. So we're letting you go. In Ouch. So I was like, I'm not New York enough. Like I moved here with a suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the epitome of New York? You move like everyone moves there wanting to be someone and something. And they're like, no, you're just not doing it for us. And so then I was like, okay, okay, I guess I'll start looking for a job. So then I had six months, like knowing I wasn't wanted, but still working. And so I wasn't in promos. I was never, I wasn't on the website. They didn't like, it was very strange being in a city you love for something you worked so hard for and being completely ignored and kind of pushed to the side. Did that, did that crush you a little bit? Destroyed me. Oh, absolutely ripped my heart out and uh the meteorologist at the time who had been there for many years she's a legend tired now she told me once she was like never fall in love with tv because it will never love you back and that stuck with me because i was in love with tv i was like i loved this i loved getting to know people i loved telling stories Mm -hmm. um i loved connecting and it doesn't it didn't matter at the end of the day to this station so it broke my heart and then like they were bringing in people to audition for my job while i was there ouch in front of me and so then i'm looking for other jobs and uh i was my last day was may 6th and uh it was in the beginning of april when rob my boyfriend of the last six years was there for an interview um to talk about what he does with his life, which is his involvement with the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Mm-hmm. So I met him right before I finished work- working at PIX. And then I had about five months where I was unemployed, like trying to look for jobs. I was yeah. nannying for a friend. Uh, but we had five months to fall in love in New York City. So hey, that's that not was- so bad. I, I want to go back because the fact that you, your password was New York City by 30. That's legit putting it out there in the universe, right? I've heard a thousand times, if you put it out in the universe, it could happen, right? So you kind of repeat this thing that you that really means a lot to you, New York by 30, New York by 30. Every time you type in your password, that's what it is. And that's what happened. I believe I remember you posted a picture on social. It was like a drawing of a girl with a mm-hmm. suitcase. It's like Times Square. <gasps> yes. Oh my, you have an amazing memory. Uh, yeah. Well, because it stuck with me because... I, that made me, I don't know if envious is the right word, but I was just looking at that going, dang, she did it. Like she just, she did it. She went for it. And a lot of, a lot of us out there don't have the courage to just go for it like that. Ballsy. Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, maybe a little naive, uh, a little, um, just ignorance is bliss and going, but I, I would hope that anyone who like feels this deep, deep connection and calling to do something will do it. Yeah. And what I'm in now is as I transitioned from that, like I had like for 10 years, not 10, yeah, I guess I was 18. So until I was 30, almost 12 years that I wrote that to log into everything. Mm-hmm. And then it started to shift and kind of crumble and the love started to dissipate. Uh, and the rose colored glasses came off 
And so it's strange. And, and I, I bet it did look, cause I remember seeing people, pictures of people in New York, like, oh my gosh, they did it. Like, I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to do it. Uh, and it's great feeling and connection to this is what I'm going to do. It is much harder, I think, to not have that. Yeah. And be like, okay, so like, what is next? What do I love? What is calling me to be, be the best at, um, and because I'm slowly as I, my career continued, I kind of just, uh, became a little bit more disconnected with, the, um, the love of, well, the how, love of how the, can you not, the, would you, but would you do it over again? Oh, I would, I loved, I loved doing what I did. I feel so fulfilled. I feel so grateful and met wonderful people and got to cover fascinating stories. And, uh, so if someone said, I want to be a journalist, I wouldn't say, don't do it. Mm -hmm. I would say, absolutely do it, embrace it, go for it. And, and so, and say yes to everything and work every holiday. And yeah. A hundred percent. So it will be yeah, so you're you're unemployed, but you do get another news job, right? So I I am yeah, so I'm, I'm looking for jobs, looking for jobs, several months pass, and finally get a job at New York One. And New York One, for people who aren't familiar with the stations in New York, is their 24-hour like the quintessential New Yorkers watch New York one. It's no fluff. It's no makeup. It's no fanciness. It is, and it's what's in like every show about New York ever. Yeah. New York one is always on in the background. And like Pat Kiernan is the guy who's always on in the background. And uh, that was also one of the greatest parts of my career because, uh, and most fulfilling and rewarding because they hired me as a reporter. Mm -hmm. And at New York one, you one man band with a uh, photographer who usually has just graduated from college. So they're like <laughs> early 20s. Wow. And like fancy pants, traffic, car service to like, you better get your backpack and get that shot up. And you better like go, you've mm -hmm. got to do everything like back to market 175 Rapid City when it's a one, you're doing it all yourself. All you. And all you and then your, your photographer which wasn't called a photographer, they were called something else, like a multimedia specialist. Um, and they were all wonderful and awesome and so hardworking, but it's very, very different than the union guys who've been photographers for 25 years and working in New York and like know everything. Cause it's super intimidating to work with those journalists in New York cause they like know their stuff oh, and yeah. they don't forget their name. And uh, <laughs> so that was at the time, the very, like the Black Lives Matter back with Eric Gardner. And so I became, for the first time ever, I was never taken seriously as a journalist because I was always the, an anchor, like in studio, you don't really know what's yeah. going on. So there you go, you're going to be our protest girl. So I got to cover all the protests, like in the thick of it, walking with the thousands of people in Manhattan. And it was incredible. It was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is fulfilling for me. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, bills got to be paid. <laughs> and being unemployed in New York for five months gets those credit card bills a little bit high. A little bit. So uh, just freelancing there, couldn't, I couldn't pay the bills. And so it was incredibly rewarding and fulfilling to feel like a real live, serious grown-up journalist. Yeah. And then um, Boston called with another traffic 
like anchor job. Okay. And just like out of the blue, they Google the new news director was like put in went into YouTube and said traffic anchors. And you popped um, up a creepy guy. Uh, yeah, a creepy guy in all of our clips and like put all the ladies together on YouTube. He found those clips that this creepy <laughs> stalker guy would put up. And he was like, I'm not trying to be creepy, but I did find your clips. And um, and that was like a contract with health benefits. And so Yay. just and, and Boston's amazing. Yeah. And I love the news director. And I, I mean, it was a fit as well. But I cry like I was never leaving New York. And Rob <laughs> was the same way. He loves New York, even though he was born and raised in Beaverton. Um, about seven miles away. We didn't know each other at the time, but uh, we were never leaving New York. We were going to live here forever. This is going to be our life. And then that we, I ended up taking the job in Boston and I cried the entire drive up there. I cried every week for uh, a year. Like it was, that was just my heart. And like that, that city, I'm going to get emotional. I was talking about it now. That city is like a person to me. So I don't know if other people have places that they connect with. But it like it just makes me feel alive and feel connected and um, feel like anything is possible. So yeah. headed up to Boston then. Well, and the beauty is it's still there. Your your love affair mm -hmm. with New York City can continue. Yeah. yeah. You're, I I haven't really I guess I haven't thought about it like that. So thank you for reminding me of that. You're welcome. Well, there's a I don't know if you're a Sex in the City fan. Uh yes. Okay. Well, you know Carrie Bradshaw. There's a whole episode about her love affair with the city and how it's good to her and then nasty to her at the same time, but she'll always be in love with this city. So, you know, the, the love affair can can go on. It ha it can and it thankfully does yeah. now with the, mar with the marathon. And that's where I have found my new calling is in running the marathon, because I didn't run it until after I had moved away, but I cheered for it for years and years when I was there and fundraising for the Reed Foundation mm -hmm. and running it. And it is my account. I own, like, I'm sad it's only 26.2 miles. Like, I wish it could be longer because it is just the, you feel like Beyonce. There's a million people cheering for you. And your name is on your jersey, so they're saying your name. That's amazing. And it's day on planet Earth. And if anyone's ever thought about doing a marathon. Unfortunately, we can't do it this year because of COVID, which is the super, the smartest decision they could make, but yeah, do it. Yeah. Um, I want, before we get into some of that stuff, I want to get back to um, the creepy guy who put all the clips up really, really briefly, because I don't think people really truly understand the amount of trolls that exist on this planet when it comes to news journalists, news people on TV, especially women. Oh, is, is there, there must be an Instagram page dedicated to it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because it stop and there's a million ways for them to contact you, be it handwritten letters, mm -hmm. gifts to the station or social. And then if you're out on live shots or remotes, you have to sometimes have security. It's, um, yeah. I, I don't know if it, I remember back in the day when, like 10 or 15 years ago, it didn't seem as extreme, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something that you have to be wary of. Yeah, and I've 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 been asked for be I've um, been asked for requests to take pictures of my feet and send that send it to some some creepy dude in like I th Iowa maybe I don't know like it's just it's weird. 
did he did he say it was for a fundraiser too? Well, probably. <laughs> Where it's like, please, I'm raising money for some, like send me your old shoes and sign them. Uh, somebody said he wanted to carry me through mud puddles. Another guy wanted to hug my ponytail. Ugh. Like, and then you have the viewers who can be a little bit cruel too with yeah. judgment about looks and size and wardrobe and uh and I definitely tired like that really started to wear on me oh I'm sure as well I tend to I'm probably a, a weirdo but I I keep there's some negative emails that I get I keep them just just because I feel like if you're getting a little too big for your britches it's like the negative emails like no you're not all that great <laughs> this lady thinks you're a little chunker on the set you know what I mean like you just it, they kind of ground you a little bit yeah, yeah, they do. It's like the days you're feeling really good. And, and yeah, you can just leave it up. But then people are also very wonderful and kind. And so it goes both ways. But it yeah, does. the amount of trolls um, that exist now, um, they just they keep popping up everywhere. Yeah, it's true. Um, so you're in Boston, you're working there in TV, and you're with your honey, Rob, Rob Summers. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Tell me about this. I guess this transition where you're like, you know what? I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to get out of news. Were you liking the job? Was it was it fulfilling you in a way that you wanted it to? So I loved my coworkers at my station, and I started in traffic there and was doing traffic for I think about six months, and then was doing and then was promoted. And so then I was traffic and anchoring. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. I got to do both. And I was learning a ton because now actually I was doing the traffic. Like I, I didn't have a producer who was doing it all. I, I did it first, but then they they phased him out. So then it was all on me to collect the information and build the maps and ad lib through it. And there were hits every couple minutes. Uh, and my a meteorologist became one of my dearest friends in the whole wide world. And uh, so it was a great command. So while I was doing the anchoring traffic, I was, you know, feeling good. And then in 2017, I did the marathon for the first time mm -hmm. to fundraise for the Reeve Foundation and the New York Marathon. And that is when really everything shifted and changed for me is we ended up raising. So you have to raise $4,000 to run for Team Reeve. And I was like, which, oh, I don't know if people know this. Rob is paralyzed. Okay. That's why I run for the Reeve Foundation. He is a C6 quadriplegic. Uh, who had an experimental surgery 10 years ago and regained a lot of function. So he has this incredible story and we are very passionate about curing spinal cord injury because we've seen how the foundation has changed his life, mm. given him a lot more independence and confidence, freedom and function back. So uh, we were fundraising for the Reed, the Reed Foundation and I was like $4,000. That's a lot to ask. Yeah. Like, that's a lot if I can do it. Uh, I don't I don't want to inconvenience the viewers. I don't want to pander to them. So on the, uh, I think it must have been the 11th, the 10th anniversary, maybe the 10th or 11th anniversary of his act, his injury. Okay. He, I posted something saying, I've decided to run the marathon. This is why. Uh, and overnight, we raised like $3,000. And I went in from viewers, the majority strangers. And I got into work the next day and there was a picture of me that I posted that's like me sitting at my computer that my friend took and I'm just crying oh. because I had never experienced 
this level of generosity from complete strangers. And then we were like, oh my gosh, we raised like the 4,000 so fast, let's increase it. And so we tried to raise 11 and then, we're, and then Rob decided to hand cycle it. So Whoa. we held a fundraiser and then we raised another five. So we ended up raising 30 that year. And when I ran the race and, and knowing that Rob was ahead of me on the hand cycle, uh, it just, it and, and the whole experience of connecting with people through paralysis and through the greater good for trying to raise money for research um, really made me feel like my day-to-day uh, delivering of bad, a lot of bad news and then traffic just wasn't, I wasn't being as impactful as mm. I could be. So that very, very positive marathon experience also led to this kind of breaking open of my heart a little bit mm. for something completely different. And uh, and then it was after that that I was like, wow, I really, I really got a lot out of this. I really connected with a lot of people that I never thought I would in a way that I didn't as a journalist, like almost on a more humane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that gives me goosebumps. Pride ourselves. In. That that gave me goosebumps, Julie. Seriously. Oh. Um. Well. Well, I don't know if that's good or bad. No, good. In the best way. In the best way. Um, so, Rob, you said C, C6. Six. What does that mean? C6 is your cervical vertebrae, and it's right about where your Adam's apple is. Okay. And he was 20. He went to Oregon State University, and they had just won the College World Series. Go Beavs! <laughs> and he was, it was the, it was July 11th. And so it was shortly thereafter he was standing in his driveway around 11 o'clock p.m. putting his gym bag in his car on Hawthorne and a hit and run driver plowed into him and then left him. Obviously, it's a hit and run. So he laid there for several hours in, in the driveway of a house he was renting with some buddies until someone at 5 a.m. noticed him bleeding out in the driveway and called police, uh, called an ambulance, and they rushed him in. Um, he broke his ankle, he shattered his, uh, he, you know, tore up his arms and he broke his neck. Uh, he got flipped over the car, broke his neck on his car and then unfortunately laid there. So the swelling continued for all of those hours and, uh, he was 20 and he was looking forward to hopefully playing uh, major league baseball and that wasn't going to happen. And the doctor said, uh, you'll, you'll never, you'll definitely never walk. You'll never go to the bathroom on your own. You'll never have sexual function. He could move one finger. He could. He had his shoulders, and then he had one finger. Whoa! And so he said, "Well," and I didn't know him at this time, right? And I was. It was right before I took the job in Portland from Rapid City, and it was all in the news because he was a local Oregon State baseball player and who did it, and. Uh, he said, "Well, I guess you don't know me very well. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna bounce back from this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat this." And so slowly but surely, tried to start working with. He has like silly putty that he would work to try to get his fingers back. Uh, he would have them put the remote on his chest when he was laying in bed, so mm-hmm. that he would, like, as therapy for him to watch TV, he would have to relearn how to use his hands, and slowly started to get some hand function back. And then. About two and a half years later, 
met up with this scientist, Dr. Susie Harkema, who was Christopher Reeve's doctor. And she said, we're, we're thinking about starting this program in Louisville where we implant you with a stimulator. We put 16 electrodes on your back and a computer implanted that's about the size of a hockey puck, right, um, kind of right above your back hip. And I'm thinking of doing. So he was like, okay, uh, when do I start? And she was like, well, it's not ready yet. And you're pretty severely paralyzed, but we'll let you know. And he was in Louisville at the time. And he was like, okay, well, I got an apartment. So I'll be here uh, at 9 a.m. on Monday. And she was like, like, it's not ready for you. We're not going to, it's not ready. And he was like, okay, I'll be there at 9.30. And so he moved here by himself. He'd never fed himself. He'd never dressed himself. And did therapy for two and a half years to lead up to this surgery and got the surgery and then, you know, let the incision heal. And three days after he started therapy, post-surgery, he stood. No for the way. First time four years. Wow. And they, he was the first one in the world to have this. And so they didn't know what to expect and they didn't know what the side effects would be in the side effect. He regained the ability to sweat. He regained sexual function. He regained autonomic function, the ability to go to the bathroom on his own. These are all side effects that are hugely yeah. important to someone who's been injured who just wants their independence back. Right. So that was, uh, I think I met him six or seven years later when he was a guest on my morning show in New York on PIX11. Stop. Stop. Yep. Also, and hooray for sexual function. That's all I'm going to say. Two high fives. Boom. <laughs> yeah, that, not, not sad about that side effect <laughs> at all. So wait, uh, when yeah, you meet so him, when you meet him to interview him, because um, did you know about him before this, before this interview? No, I knew nothing about him. And I didn't, there were picks the way they, I mean, it was like a five hour morning show and they had a ton of guests every day. And so, and so we were like in a four shot and they pop us up and the main anchors were like, Hey, we've got these guys here coming up for an interview. They're paralyzed, but they shook my hand and like, they're so strong. You've got to hear this story about this medical breakthrough. One's from Texas and one's from Portland. And the main female anchor goes, Julie, you're from Portland. And they pop me up and I turn bright red and I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, they're cute. Wow, they're super cute and single. Hey, Julie. So we have it's all on it's on YouTube now. It's adorable. The uh, clip of us, and then after in the commercial break, we I introduced myself and we played the name game, and turns out he my brother played baseball against him growing up. Wow, like th just the oddest uh, paths that crossed, and it wasn't until we met in New York when he was there to talk about the surgery uh, that we hit it off, and then. And then he flew back to Portland. Then we connected and he flew back to Portland. And we kept in touch. In Santa Fe, about six weeks later, I was there for a wedding. And he was like, how about I meet you in Santa Fe? This would be our second in-person meeting ever, ever. And so I was like, sure. I missed my flight to Santa Fe. <laughs> Feeling like such an idiot. I'm like, sorry, hi, new person I really, really like. I missed my flight, so... <laughs> We were going to connect in Denver and then fly Denver to Santa Fe together. So he gets to Denver 
and stays, misses his flight on purpose. Oh. So that when I get to Denver, he's there and he talked to the gate agent like, so there's this girl. He tells the story. I really like her. Can you just like shrug your shoulders if she happens to be on a certain flight tomorrow? And the gate agent played along. And so he rebooked us on the flight the, ne- the next day. And so I get off the flight and he's like, don't go anywhere. I'm like, why? I'll, I'll see you Rob, yep. And he's like, just come down this way. See him just go sprinting towards him, jump on his lap and start kissing him. And uh, that was our first date. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love it. He's suave. Rob's very suave. Yeah, it is pretty smooth. And so he moved into the 154 square foot apartment about four months later. No way. I love it. You, then, you fell in love yeah. in New York City. With a boy from Portland. Go figure. Yeah, fell. And how weird is this? The Pix11 studio was in the Daily Mail building, which is where they shot Superman. Stop. It's too much. <laughs> I can't. It's too much. Kind of crazy. So, yeah, that's the tangent of why we were, why my passion has shifted to. Yes. Reeve. And and then also getting involved with service animal training because we ended up, he had, we got a golden retriever in Boston and, or right outside of Boston. And so I became very involved with training that golden Mm -hmm. for him to be an emergency alert and uh, mobility assist. So it'll, pull him like if he's trying to get somewhere quickly he'll hold on to bear's vest and bear will pull if he pops out of his chair which has happened a couple times uh anyone else someone falls over you know they stand back up robbie his legs don't work so well so the stimulator on so you asked what a c6 was cervical six yep about here he now presents more as a t4 which is right about here so he has like full big muscles upper body he uses a manual chair, not a power wheelchair, mm. but um, doesn't like have abs still. And but when they turn the stimulator on, it's like like his abs. He can stand and take steps and move his toes, knees, ankles, hips. Whoa! And what they learned him, they were able to replicate in the next we're working on we're trying to get to 36 participants because then you can get fda approval and the goal is to make this like the pacemaker for spinal cord injury you get injured you get this right away and you get this device to bridge the gap that that is broken in the spinal cord injury because above and below the gap the 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 damaged tissue things are healthy Mm -hmm. You just need to bridge that, and that's what this does. This amplifies the signal from the brain down to the rest of the extremities and allows, so far, everyone to regain some sort of movement. Amazing. Would you say the marathon was somewhat of your aha moment? Was it like, okay, this is what I got to do. I got to do this. Absolutely. In in a way that... I never expected or anticipated, and I had run other marathons, but I had never run them for something larger. And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but TV started to feel like more of a cage Hmm. for me uh, in the judgment 
like we were saying, from the trolls, from the people who think you're this or you're that, from the bosses, from the the, uh, the consultants that come in and say, maintain your size. Yeah. And I was much smaller than I am now. And it's like, I can't do anything right. And it just like wears on you. Uh, it wore on me. And so then to do something that you that would help others without feeling so bad about myself all the time because of what other people were saying was the aha moment of the marathon. Yeah. Uh, that led me to, to distance, like be prepared to leave TV behind. Yeah, which is, I can't imagine that decision because I know for a lot of people in TV especially, because we're truly, truly passionate about this business, that mm -hmm. decision to finally go, yeah, I need... I need to cut the cord, I need to get out. I mean, it's a scary, scary jump for a lot of people in TV from what I've heard. And I've even, I've talked to other people who were in other very, very successful jobs and decided to follow this passion of doing something completely different. And they were finding themselves at work, at their job, thinking about that other thing that they wanted to do constantly. I. Are you reading my mind? Like, <laughs> did you? I was going to say, did you have a camera in the newsroom? Yeah, have cameras in the newsroom. But I, I actually um, got in a little bit of trouble from my bosses for posting too much about fundraising mm. for re, which rubbed me the wrong way. Help people here, and also yeah. as a traffic reporter, just use ways. Like get on Google Maps. I, I just like I couldn't fake it anymore. I, it was just getting to me because I'm like, that's going to be so much better than what I can tell you. True. And, um, and you know that like when you have the stories that you love and like I can tell you, you have an amazing curiosity for people. You're passionate about this podcast, about what you do and it shows in your work. And I think that it was probably showing in mind that I wasn't as passionate about telling you that the expressway has traffic <laughs> again. <laughs> it's traffic. It exists always. So um, whereas like pivoting and being able to connect with people and let people know about this, this surgery and these opportunities and that there is hope and that things can get better and became much more of a passion that I would find myself. I have to stay in TV forever because it gives me the platform. Why would like, it's my duty now to stay in TV to have this platform. Okay. Uh, and then, and then it came to pass that, uh, about two years ago, I ended up leaving, uh, the station in Boston. Rob was already living in Louisville. He had moved nine months prior to get his device in his back replaced. Mm -hmm. And the, it was just, my contract was up and the timing was right to say like, I've got to go be with this person. Like I fell in love with my hero. Let me be there for him. I've missed a lot. I've gained a lot from TV, but I've missed a lot. And it, I felt too strongly to be there for him and for others uh, that it made it easier to give up TV and right. and come out here right. and it's, dedicate myself to this. Yeah. What does that look like, um, dedicating yourself to finding a cure for spinal cord injury. What does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? What are you guys doing? Because I know Rob obviously is incredibly passionate about this too. So what does that mean to be a, an advocate for this? So when, this pre-COVID, 
when we first moved here, he was in therapy twice a day. And so I would go to every session and I kind of tried to be a little bit of a mama bear, like getting to know all the physical therapists and taking care of them and bringing in bagels and then connecting people who knew, you know, learn more. If you want to learn more about this, I'd be happy to tell you, I'd be happy to put you in touch with this person uh, because I was able to go in and then record the progress and make things for the Reeve Foundation to use to promote the, the surgery and this, all, all of the research that's going on. Mm -hmm. So I kind of got to be their little yeah, and special inside glimpse of what's going on as far as the progress of uh, this research, which is major progress. And then we, he got the surgery in 2018, so we couldn't run the marathon then. And then in 2019, uh, we ran it, I, I ran it again. Uh, he w couldn't because he was in therapy. And I was worried that, oh no, now I'm not gonna be able to fundraise because I'm not on TV. And this is gonna be a challenge. And I had two other girlfriends whose fiancés are injured and they ran it with me. And we trained and we fundraised and um, we ended up raising more than when I was on the news. So it was like, yay, this is like, you can still do this. I can still do this without having to sell my soul and, mm -hmm. and make myself up every day and kind of play a part that I felt like I was playing near the end of my career. Uh, um, and so now, um, yeah, that's what was happening. I was going to therapy and trying to be a resource for Reeve on the inside and connecting people who are coming here and welcoming people. And, and then now in COVID, it's all kind of up in the air. Yeah, I was therapy gonna... is, has resumed. Okay. But people with a spinal cord injury have compromised lung function. And so it puts them drastically at drastically higher risk. So it's been a choice of us and many of our friends who are injured to abide very strictly by the quarantine rules because we don't want to be the ones, we don't want to be the statistic that's like, this paralyzed person got it, and this is what happens if you get it when you're paralyzed. Yeah, I was going to so, ask, if is Rob at increased danger right now? Yes, Okay. absolutely. Uh, yes, he and anyone with a spinal cord injury are. And, the, and Frazier Rehab, which is where... They all participate in rehab and, of course, very excellent measures to maintain cleanliness and mm -hmm. sanitary procedures. But we're still just being very cautious. So therapy has been put on hold for COVID because he and the other participants are at higher risk. Has the fundraising been put on hold? Are you still actively, you know, working on that part? So a side effect of COVID was we quarantined with some friends in Virginia in the middle of nowhere for a while. And I, we were kind of getting stir crazy. So I couldn't get a hold of any masks. It took too long. So I um, learned how to make masks and was like, I'm going to make masks and I'm going to fundraise for Reeve and sell the masks at a friend's store on the Jersey Shore. And we'll donate a portion, you know, cover the expenses to make the masks and then donate the a portion of the proceeds to Reeve. So I've been doing that since then. Um, and that was like, you know, a really fun thing to do. And my parents helped me because um, I was home in Portland for a little while. And so, yes, the fundraising has continued mm -hmm. on a much smaller level. And 
the men, the marathon is canceled this year. So, which is better. I wouldn't, we wouldn't do it anyways because of the risk. Because uh, of so many people in one place. Right. And then that will continue as soon as kind of things start to get back to normal. Um, and then we're also kind of shifting the focus to trying to, I'm still involved with service dogs. Um, and so we're, a litter is coming up soon that we'll be trying to pull the right service dog for one of the girls who, one of our dear friends who has epilepsy and needs a new service dog. So that's also been something that's not Reeve related, but kind of in the undertone sure. being the state. I love it. I love it. What does the Reeve Foundation say, I guess, what's their feedback been to you and Rob? Because, I mean, I look at the two of you and the first word that I think of is just dynamic. You're dynamic all on your own. But so is Rob. I mean, oh. this this guy has just he's he's Superman. He literally is Superman. Thank you. That's it. he. Uh, yeah, he's he's a he coming in right now. It sounds like he's coming in from his walk uh, with Bear. But uh, he is a very special human, and he takes this responsibility very seriously. He carries the weight of the paralysis community on his shoulders mm -hmm. and uh they, they did they are we, we love them dearly and are so deeply ingrained and connected to them and will be for the rest of our lives and at their their annual fundraising gala in 2000 they called him the rosa parks of spinal cord injury the first one wow to to, to stand up really yeah he is now and say okay here's my body poke and prod do what you're gonna do mm -hmm. and he he tells a funny story of after surgery he asked the doctor so how is this gonna feel when you turn it on we never like talked about that and they're like well we don't know because we've never put it in anyone but it'll it'll either feel like a bee sting or a gunshot he was like oh well i mean it would have been nice to know that beforehand but i would have done it anyway so um we we love the foundation and what they do and they have they, they're at the forefront and there is a cure i i can say with confidence so you know i couldn't say with confidence like these are the, this is the traffic you should take because i'm like yeah use google map <laughs> use Waze. I, I can say with spinal cord injury in our lifetime and it is because of the work that the reef foundation has been pushing and pushing and funding and and really pushing the envelope to find and so yeah. it's easy it's easy to talk about and to be excited about it and it's because also the reef foundation has these little soldiers out there like you and rob just pushing right i mean when you say passionate advocate that no, is that's you i i it's if anyone i feel bad for anyone who gets stuck next to me on an airplane because they're like so what do you do i'm like well ah, i'll take another round of diet coke and so the reef foundation and i launch into it and they're always like, I'm going to just pretend like I'm napping now right. because we've heard enough. But uh, I guess we're the minions. Like we're just in there doing the, the, the things that we think would help. And if that's trying to help a friend get her stolen van back or if it's fundraising on a smaller level mm -hmm. to something someone needs or if it's just getting people masks and um, or running other races. We did another half marathon and. A girl came up to me afterwards and said, I saw your shirt. My sister was injured recently. 
I would love to be part of Team Reeve. And it was like, yes. Awesome. This is exactly why we're out here. If like one person can feel mm-hmm. like they're not alone after something so traumatic and life changing happens, then we have done good work. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And you look back at your career so far and everything you've done has put you on this path that you're on right now. I mean, if it, you know, you could say your your journalism background and your career in news, I mean, that's what makes you such a great advocate because you know how to get the word out. Thanks, I think so. And that's kind of the this in-between phase that I mentioned earlier, like when you know New York by 30, that <laughs> feels good to know. Yeah. And now I have to dedicate my life to, but it's like, okay, how am I gonna, do that? Like, how do I channel that for the most good? Do we stay in Louisville indefinitely? And, and do we open therapy centers so that people can get the surgery and then go do the therapy? Do mm-hmm. we keep running races and fundraising? So it is not quite as specific as start in a small TV market, get the next job, get the next job. Uh, so that's new and, and different sure. as I am transitioning into, okay, what's the next uh, phase career-wise for me, but I do think that being a journalist has helped hopefully prepare me for what's Mm -hmm. next, like you said. Well, I love this path that you're on, and I'm definitely going to keep in touch with you (laughs) because, yeah, I just think it's, it's, it's just so amazing that, again, you had that aha moment and you just said, this is what I'm going to do. And even though you're not quite sure what's next, you know, this is definitely your path to finding a cure for spinal cord injury. I love it. It is, it absolutely is. Uh, Julie, we're gonna wrap up just a little bit cause I wanna get to the final three, but um, tell me about your doggies. You have two, right? Yes, we have two golden retrievers. Bear is four, Beatrix is almost three. And B is having puppies in like six days. Wow, crazy. You're gonna have your hands so, full. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun and something totally new and different. And uh, so I'm heading out to Boston. That's where she is right now with the breeder. Uh-huh. So I co-own her with the breeder uh, under her guidance, thankfully. And really, we debated this extensively like, over COVID, like whether or not to breed. And we just felt driven by a friend who we know has epilepsy and and needs a new uh, we think that this litter could be because b and bear are both excellent and predisposed to service oh they both our service but uh, yeah so that is the, the next two months uh mm-hmm. and i even thought i was like oh we should do this interview when i'm like in a whelping pen of puppies <laughs> like hey but then i wouldn't be able to get a word in that why it's neither no. one of us would be because it would be like be your puppy there yeah uh yeah so that's what's going to be in the next couple months and then um yeah, who, who knows? Okay, well, keep us all posted, please, on what's next. I will. It's so great to reconnect. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's get to the final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? Do you remember Fred Penner? He was a children's song guy. Like, I don't know if it was West Coast mm. or like, but he sang a song that my mom sing, will bring up to me every time I do anything. I'm 37. Like, push. And she would try, you can do it. If you try, you can do, do, doodly do it if you try. And it brings in just this sense of fun, the not taking yourself too seriously. And really, if it's New York 
by 30. If it's stepping and standing again, again after a spinal cord injury, yeah, you can do it if you try. You can do it if you try. Ooh, that gave me goosebumps too. Um, all the goosebumps, all the good feels with this one. Uh, what's your happy place? My happy place is any body of water with my golden retrievers and a racquetball. They are water dogs and that, there, there are many cities I love, New York especially, uh, but it makes me sad that I couldn't be there every single day. So I was like, what is, what is my happy place? And it's anywhere where I can just let my dogs swim and just be present with them in that moment, which could be really in any city. For sure. That, that is true. Yeah. My dogs, I, man, when, when I come home after a stressful day and they run over to me, tails wagging with a treat or a bone in their mouth, I, there's just nothing better. Like you've been gone for years. Yes. Like, like, thank goodness you're home. She's back. She returned. Yeah. Where uh, have you been? Uh, okay. Final meal, final drink. What does that look like? A final meal is called shishki. It is homemade donuts that my mom makes that in beautifully, like, you know, Crisco boiling water. Delicious. Mm. It's like very special occasions with a giant cold glass of 2% milk. 2%. People say people, 2%. Like I want, to, it's like liquid ice cream. I'm a huge milk drinker. Some friends say that makes me a serial killer. <laughs> I love, like it is one of my, and as an adult to drink milk, like with dinner, they're like, what's wrong with you? Love it. That's my, like my last meal. Um, I'm with you. I am a milk drinker myself. I love, love milk. <laughs> it's just too good. Thank you. You understand. I do. I do feel you. So um, you've been so great. And I'm just going to say, if people want to help or fundraise or get involved, where can they go? Should they follow you on Instagram? Should they follow ReFoundation? Like, how can they get involved? Oh, I guess I wasn't expecting that question because I've kind of dropped off the social media landscape after mm -hmm. many years of forced socialing for work for sure but i am on instagram and i still check it and i still read it and i still use that to fundraise predominantly okay and get the word out and i mean if you look at my account now two years ago it's all selfies of me <laughs> on tv <laughs> i look back i'm just like oh you're so gross and now it's just all like running and fundraising yeah. and wheels and chairs and so yeah instagram is definitely a way to go or facebook yeah. Um, or just shoot you. But yes, I'm here for anyone who needs a uh, cheerleader or advice or support. We are here for you always. Awesome. Best cheerleader ever. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple's podcast or Spotify, uh, please subscribe, rate and review. It helps other people find us. You can also watch this podcast at KTVL.com or also on YouTube. Just look up Off Script with Trish Gloss. One more time, Julie Grauert. Thank you so much. This has been I knew it was going to be good, but you just like blew away my expectations. You are just so uh, flippin' fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for thinking of me. I feel very special. So well, thanks. Well, You're the best. Thank you. You're the best.